really are then are receptive to the natural beauty of life, the flow of life. Just the, the way things are, the, the winter time and the, and the little insignificant uh, details. Just the way life is. And more and more, if you trust in that, you, you, your practice then isn't one of trying to, to uh, uh, control a situation to get a peak experience. Because somehow it doesn't, you, no longer, you no longer wish for that. You let go of that desire. You don't, you don't, you're not holding on to the memories or the, or the perceptions of practice. Watch that and then really be aware of the, that desire to control things and make things, hold on to things and keep trying to organize and control everything for your, because that is a, that is a lack of faith. When you're always trying to hold on and keep everything together and control it, and when it starts going off, you to hold it together again. And, and it's a lot because there's no sada there. It's just, it's just if, if if this changes, I won't be able to deal with it. I won't be able to, I won't be able to cope. We've got to, we've got to make it work. We've got to. Every time it starts changing or going away or drifting, we've got to bring it all back again. So there's this sense of panic and and fear all the time, anxiety. If if this goes or if if this happens, or we can see it when you know, like like with the, like a lot of the the Zilladras disrobing the past couple of years, isn't it? How many have disrobed? Right, and there's a sense of, of uh, you know, falling apart, isn't there? Somehow the nun's order isn't, isn't it, 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 it can't hold it together. We can't keep them all in it. We can't uh, make it work. Uh, it's not working. There's too many leaving, and it, and uh, and we've got to try to. Maybe recruit more women into it and try to hold them in and make it work. <laughs> that kind of thing is a lack of faith, isn't it? It's, it's not sada. It's a desire. You know, a good idea have a nun's order and and uh, this ideal order of, of Buddhist nuns. A lot of good uh, good things and ideas about it, but. That very desire to make it work and to to try to control it and hold it together and try to uh, convert women or intimidate them into staying or or uh, this kind of these kind of things are all a lack of faith. No sada in the there's no refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha yet. So it's not a matter of, of uh, same with the monks. The monks, it's uh, the monks have an easier time of it, because our 
our order is so well established and has you know so much more kind of uh, more clear and more developed through centuries so that the say the nuns is is it's fairly new and different and doesn't have the the strength of the tradition behind it but it's not going to work if you if you don't if you if none of you get the uh, develop the if you just try to make it work from your own desires and ignorance it won't work and I won't ask any women to join it to a stupid order of nuns <laughs> whatever you do don't join the nuns order <laughs> Because you don't, it's not, it's not meant to be. Uh, I mean, not, it's not an end in itself, and it's, uh, and this is where the, the 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 development of the nuns' order depends on the wisdom and the faith of the people involved in it, of nuns themselves, not on how many years they've been in the order or how, or how their views and opinions or their desire to control it or to make it work out of an ideal but to have this faith in the Dhamma then then there will be a natural development it won't be we'll have to go around recruiting <laughs> converting this is why I never liked the idea of bhikkhuni order as such because there's too much in America they always want this bhikkhuni order and they and they it's, I mean it's never been never been for the right reasons <coughs> it's always been a, an idea of of trying to get equality with the bhikkhus and, uh, or this idea of having something equal to bhikkhus and that's not, there's nothing holy in that. Equality with the bhikkhus doesn't, is no, it's worthless. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, that's not where it's at, but it, it's in the faith and of an individual human being, man or woman. In the bhikkhus, the same applies. The, is, is useless just being a bhikkhu and trying to establish a plant the sangha here in Britain and West. I have this reputation now, it's kind of great reputation. Ajahn Sumedho is, has taken the sangha to the West and it has taken root. And then I say, What have you done, Venerable Sumedho? I say, Well, you've established uh, those chitters, then there's Amrabachi. How many monks at Amravati? There are 17 bhikkhus at Amravati, and there are 12 at Chitters. Devon, they have a little Vihar in Devon, and Northumberland, and Switzerland, and then Italy. New Zealand and Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I say, oh, uh, Venerable Sumato, you, great success. You're the, 
I mean, when I go to these Buddhist conferences and I'm looked at with great admiration, <laughs> this is the man that has established Buddhism in the West. <laughs> it's all very nice, you know. I, I go along with it. But it's, <laughs> it's not where it's at. It's not where it's at at all. No, <laughs> Because it's in the, it's, it's here is where it counts. It's in the heart. How many bhikkhus you have and monasteries you've established. <laughs> Just another farce, couldn't it? It could be meaningless. Just another fad or, you know, Buddhist meditation. Now it's this kind of trendy thing to do. And, and it's, uh, one could, uh, one could make a lot out of it on that level of how many monasteries have you established and how many monks do you have? <laughs> that is of no value if, if, the, if it's not coming from the heart. And one can maybe have a measure of success just on that level, just through maybe charisma or charm or that, that one can arouse in, in other people. But if those people don't develop that from their own heart, then it, then it falls apart. It's just a kind of flash-in-the-pan kind of situation. It, all of us, it's, it's not a matter of, of numbers or how many or how many Siva draws do you have. And, you know, this kind of thing is is uh, a matter of not important how many there are. What I'm concerned is how many of you understand the Dhamma and have faith in the, in the refuge. Not just kind of belief in the refuge. How many of has it gone to your heart where it's really, really affected and where your heart is that way now? And then, it's possible that nun's order will develop because it is worth worthy of respect. Worthy, it's going to to be something that that will be a benefit to women rather than just my idea of what's good for you. <coughs> I want it to be a great benefit rather than just my idea of what I think you should be doing. Because sometimes you. When you're in this life, you, it's easy to become a kind of bhikkhu chauvinist. You think everybody should be a bhikkhu. Every woman should be a nun. You can't, you know, it's easy to start thinking like that. And all of you, you should be bhikkhus, every one of you. And, uh, all of you should be nuns. And uh, it's a, it's a, you really have to do it this way. You can't do it any other way. This is, this is what you should be doing. It's easy for, for, for the mind because you may be, you know, either that can come from, from a mind that says, I've got to make everyone else do what I'm doing, otherwise I, I start doubting it. I've got, you know, the kind of uh, religious zealot that 
that uh, tries to convert people because every conversion reinforces their own conviction. And if and if nobody, if you can't convert or can't make anybody go along with you, then then you start doubting. And you, so in order to to keep your your belief system operating, you have to continuously make converts and convince everyone they should be doing what you're doing. That's one. Right? Or maybe one is just loves monastic life and and uh, really likes the life. And and once you've been living this way, you appreciate it. You still may not have any real insights into Dhamma yet, but then you you try to you still think everybody should do it because it's what you like doing. It's an easy one, isn't it? Because I like uh, something that I think everyone else should like it. And some of some people are like that. They're never fad, you know, they whatever trends come, I'm I'm terribly interested in this new uh, this new thing, and I think everyone else should be interested in it. Is uh, is something that's quite quite uh, human situation, but that's not that's not uh, you can't you can't uh, nothing really develops from that that kind of sentimental approach or egotistical position. Because the holy life is certainly not a, not a. I'm not trying to establish Buddhism in the West. It's not my aim. It's not my. If Buddhism is established in the West, that's a, that is, that's fine. But it's not my concern. Not what I'm. That's not my mission. People think it's my mission. <laughs> it's all right to think that's my mission, but it's not. And so, if if uh, if it's if Theravada Buddhism is established in the West, and uh, and that I'm a, a vehicle for that establishing, for helping to establish it, then that's fine. But that's not that's not my that's not something I carry in my mind or in my heart. It's not what I think about or what I identify with. The thing is to try to make the Dhamma available to people, but to to because of one's respect and love for it, but not because of kind of ulterior motives. One's need to to be somebody or one's kind of let me tell you what you should be doing. Impression on me for some reason. It's called the Knights of Kabiria. And it was a so this kind of a, a prostitute in Rome. That kind of, uh, not a very expensive one either, kind of hang around on the streets. And she was uh, just... Uh, you know, a kind of one of those people that that's the only way she could make a living. So, but she had this kind of indomitable spirit and good nature. So she, even though she had to live in this kind of degenerate way, 
she had something, you know, obviously something in her that was wasn't degenerate at all, but had a kind of vitality and spirit and goodness. And of course, she's always hoping to get a husband that someday a man will come along and take her out of this horrible way of life and and uh, make her into an honest woman. And so she meets this man and and uh, good-looking man picks her up one night and, they, and anyway they <clears throat> he starts kind of courting her and she's absolutely ecstatic over the moon with joy at last her dreams seem to be coming true and then it ends up that he the man finds out where she keeps her money takes the money and runs <laughs> so that, that emotional scene Kabiria just Suddenly, just uh, you know, this woman had a kind of all hopes dashed, and back in the same miserable place she was before. And then the, the ending is she she suddenly picks herself up and starts this, this life and walks on, and doesn't wallow in the despair of uh, of lost hopes and disappointments and self pity. No, I mean it's it's a it's a melodrama, yes. But for some reason, movies don't always leave much of an impression on me. But that one did because I've, I've often thought of that how in life one just has to keep going and uh, and just uh, do the best we can with what we have, not let it not get not be uh, ruined by what happens to us. With your mind, put forth extra, like a two-week vigil, putting forth extra effort. Don't see it as just signing up on this list and doing your kind of thing and then and then uh, thinking that's all you have to do. The, the, it, people can go there all day, all, all night, and sit uh, in the meditation hall. I'm not signed up for that now. I don't have to go. Mind. That's not what I'm after. That's not the skillful way of thinking. It's not my hour, it's his hour or her hour. That's how our minds tend to think, isn't it? I, I signed up for that. I didn't sign up for the morning. Or this is, I remember Amenable at the Pemo did <coughs> emphasize that this is just merely to have a minimum allowance in the, in the hall all the time for people. So that doesn't cancel out uh, the opportunities for us all to participate. Even if it's for half an hour, even just uh, don't worry about the hourly times. We'll even learn, even if you barge in in the middle of the hour and make all kinds of unpleasant noises and crashing down on the floor, we'll We'll spread metta to you because our practice now is, is loving kindness and peacefulness rather than control of the environment.
for our practice. Don't feel you have to sit for hours on end, or just half an hour, ten minutes, whatever. Just think in terms of, of, of offering uh, this practice, uh, meditation, prayer, uh, concentration, uh, all of this for the welfare of especially all the people involved in the Gulf War. <clears throat> it's what we can do, isn't it? As a real, I don't know what to do about the Gulf War. As a, you know, what, what am I supposed to do about it? If I could, I'd go there today. It's not, the, the airplanes aren't crowded these days to <laughs> Baghdad. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, and I'm saying now you listen to me Saddam this is despicable behavior not not proper stop it right now snap out of it <laughs> and General Swartz coughing well, Samada, you gotta get Saddam out of there because. Yes, one, the first one. I'm not going to quibble about the remaining four. <laughs> But like anything, if we do it half-heartedly, I mean, that's too much of a Western. Western life is makes us kind of mediocre and half-hearted creatures. We lose our sharp edges. We become just kind of bland uh, type of human beings. And middle-class uh, conditioning really makes you like cold porridge, doesn't it? I mean, just comfort and getting by and you can always get by in these countries like this. You can, in Britain, you can get by without putting any effort in, into your life at all. The system will support you and take care of you. The welfare states, <clears throat> which is, you know, very good for the, as far as the government is the honorable system, but uh, the, the population <coughs> tends to just become, become uh, passive and, and bland and lacking vigor and direction because you can just survive in the system. You don't have to survive. You don't have to think about surviving uh, like just getting enough to eat because you can always Get on. There's always the, the doors or various charities around. Monastic life, you see, monastic life can make us just really kind of drab, kind of uh, eunuchs. Can't we? We can be just kind of castrated men and 
sterilized women, these kind of bland blobs of humanity. Whether we get so much support and people, you know, get all kinds of, of uh, you know, we can take so much for granted here. Ramavati, Chitterist, it's easy just to take it all for granted. It, it seems to come to us. And you can just ride along in the, in, you know, on the, you're on the bandwagon, just on the for the ride alone. You're not doing anything. <clears throat> well, then that then that then the purpose of our life is lost in that respect. It, it's no longer holy. It's just it's just uh, rather pathetic. Now this doesn't mean that that uh, we, you know, do, I'm not condemning the welfare state or the generosity of the British government or the or the abundance that 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 uh, the generous donations, the thoughtfulness of lay people towards the the community here. I'm not not saying it shouldn't be like this or that that uh, it should be less or we shouldn't have it, but for our way of life, we're reflecting that, that, that we're, we're not going to take it for granted. We're not going to misuse it. We're not going to take advantage of the system at all. Don't take adva- <coughs> advantage of this system. <coughs> and so, how do we do that? Not taking advantage of the system and just getting along in it, just riding, going along for the ride, is by putting that much attention and that reflection in, in your spirit and awaken yourself and really make determinations. Put your heart and soul into the life here. Then, uh, then we are worthy of the offerings, the, the food that we eat, and the, the four requisites that that people uh, provide for peace vigil, and using the the merit, the punya, the, the blessings of our life, to try, try to make it even increase it so for the welfare of all those. Uh, people, uh, men and women involved in the Gulf War on both sides. We're not, we're not, it's not no longer preferring one side or the other. The Iraqis and the Republican Guard of Saddam Hussein, the crack troops, the, uh, the, uh, the, the religious fanatics of Islam, the, the, the killers and brutes, the, the good people, the bad people, the, the old women, the old men, little kids, even dogs and cats. Imagine they're getting blasted too. Rats and mice, camels. Thank you.
Hmm? And the cormorants in the yes, in the Persian Gulf. I feel more sorry for the cormorants than for the Iraqi troops. <laughs> you realize Iraqi troops are just like like you, aren't they? Young men. It's kind of forced into into service. Haven't lived their lives much. Don't know, have no way of getting out of it. In a in a tyrannical country, you don't have any choice in the matter. You just conscripted and sent where you're told. You don't have any to be a conscientious objector. Is I think non-existent in Iraq. They probably don't even have, let you out if you have a, if you have prostate trouble or or one eye missing. <laughs> like they do here. <clears throat> Tell them that you're gay or something. They still have to go. <laughs> Appear in women's clothes and. <laughs> <laughs> I heard in Vietnam War that a lot of American men were doing that to get out of going. <laughs> so that they're they're like a lot of them are Boys, the 15-year-old boys, it's cannon fodder, aren't they? They just sent out, they're the ones in the trenches along the Kuwait borders. They're not the crack troops, they're just the, 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 the cannon fodder, the, the waste, the human beings you can waste. And the, so these are, but they're the same as you and I, aren't they? Like your brothers, little brothers or sons. Immediately be like my sons. So they're, they're involved in a war that they don't really understand, or they're just kind of a victim of, of the stupidity of the leaders of their country and the countries that are fighting them. And then, say, the American, the Allied troops, not much different, really. <coughs> But it's interesting to see in the <clears throat> propaganda in the newspapers that they'll show, you know, like a Scud missile that landed in Tel Aviv, and then they'll show a Israeli mother with her little child, and the mother's crying, and the baby's terrified, and, and they'll these kind of poignant messages about the poor Israelis. And they don't do that with about what the Iraqi women must be going through at this time. The kind of constant bombardment of Baghdad and Basra, those cities and the places. Iraqi women don't count, do they? They're not. They're not. They're not as human as Israeli women. Israeli women are more human and more important to us than Iraqi women. That's what it looks like to me, doesn't it? In the propaganda. 
they're just Iraqis. They don't count. Israelis count for more. They're worth more than Iraqis, aren't they, in the West? Arabs and that, they don't. Their, their value in life is definitely less than, say, British or Americans or what is the standard for, you know, like wogs? Wogs begin at Calais, according to some. <laughs> Only kind of pure English. And when you get into being Irish, you're getting off, getting into the darker areas of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> The wasp, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant is, or the Aryan, according to Hitler's views, you know, the blonde, blue-eyed uh, types that are Aryans, they're the, they're the number one, and the rest, increasingly, uh, as you get darker, uh, your value diminishes considerably. Well, that is, uh, that is just utter stupidity, isn't it? And prejudice and and narrow-mindedness and meanness of heart. It's mean, isn't it? It's really mean-hearted. <coughs> so the, the, the mind of a of the Buddha is uh, all sentient beings. The Buddha mind has room for all sentient beings. And so in our practice, that's what practicing for the welfare of all sentient beings, but we're spe- especially reflecting on and thinking about the ones involved in the Gulf War. Getting people involved doing things, like the Vietnam War. Uh, you can see how just on the on side of the Americans, the young men sent over to to get involved in the killing and atrocities that ruin their lives. Even though they might not, they might live through it, they still have to live with horrendous memories of having seen, witnessed, or even done uh, atrocious things. Is this what we, is this, is this all the best we can do for the, for the uh, young people of the world? Just Take them. That's old men sitting in offices in the Pentagon and sit around planning our next move, getting all these young chaps out and getting them to do vicious and nasty things. Is that the best we can do? You know, I, I certainly understand that most people's minds are conditioned only to do that. Uh, that's the way. That's the the programming <coughs> of the of the human mind from the modern uh, attitudes, perspectives. <coughs> but also, there's a much better way, isn't it? And this is what we need to to keep reminding of ourselves and keep rising up to life in our own situation here. The sense of rising up, having to put forth effort, having to be better than than the way we feel, having to act in a better way than the way we might feel like acting at this time. And 
the, having to, like the, the Vinaya discipline, you have to always be a little better than you'd be if you didn't have the Vinaya. Every 25 years, you think I felt like keeping all those rules all this time? <laughs> and the, the, you don't want to be bothered with all that stuff. And But because, because of the, the training, one always is better than one would have been if one hadn't had the Vinaya at all. If I could have just followed my laziness and impulses and I could set it aside then I get inspired I keep the Vinaya when I feel good and then I just kind of toss it away when I when I don't want to be bothered and that that's not then you're just using something for for a high you're not you're not developing you're not using it to be better to rise up to to life so one thing the Vinaya does is it it makes we have to be better than we would be to keep it, to keep within that restraint of the Vinaya. That's very good for us. I find I'm very grateful to it because it's, uh, for 25 years now, my heavy karma has, I've not done anything really heavy. <coughs> 25 years. It's older than you, David. <laughs> <coughs> so 25 years of haven't haven't uh, done anything heavy. I've done a few minor things, you know, unskillful things, definitely many of those. But the real heavy things I haven't done due to the vinaya, not because I'm a saint. Or that, not because I haven't wanted to. Or I haven't, you know, I haven't shaving your head, putting on the robe doesn't, only changes the outer surface. <laughs> so keep, keep thinking today, you know, reminding yourself of peace vigil, to be vigilant. And to be peaceful with with yourself, with the states of mind, with the people around you, even if people are being obstreperous and difficult, be peaceful anyway with them. <coughs> don't get caught in, don't just be someone who reacts to the stupidity and foolishness of somebody else. And then uh, offer this, like the Imina Punya, every evening we'll make that, we'll do that, like we've been doing the Imina Punya, the blessings of our life, the, these, these, this punya, send forth the metta, karuna mudita, the, the brahma viharas. These are the these are the kind of forms, the, the suggestions, the attitudes we adopt for especially emphasizing this at this time. Then the actual practice of enduring what you think you can't endure putting forth more effort and, and uh, really being very considerate very kind very uh, uh, willing to, to spend time to give up your own convenience or what you feel like doing or don't feel like doing to give all that up to <coughs> to uh, 
develop the practice more for the benefit and for the welfare of all beings. <coughs> Sipani, do you have any uh, insights on this peace vigil yet you can share with the rest of us? Mind movements 
algorithms to help the things that one can use to keep one's balance whilst something like this is going on. Just um, not trying to be very humble, not really expecting myself to have any great shaking or shaking insights or blind in flashes of revelation, but just to try and to know to know the feelings of what one doing even in chanting or to uh, to really start working with the, the feelings of um, impatience while you're waiting for the bell or your knees hurting. Just all the little areas that one tends to ignore when you actually start really reflecting, they, they can add up to about 90% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've been, I feel I've been working on a very mundane level and, and in some ways um, you know, I can't produce any wonderful insights to share with you, but for me it's just been a bit, it's been very um, kind of worthwhile time, but um, the most noticeable thing is an increasing in faith, which I feel has taken a long time to develop in this life. I mean, I don't really feel the spiritual path really starts to develop at all until one does come in contact with, with faith that um, can allow one to uh, trust to trust that, that it's alright to to, um, to not be alive and, um, It's actually been quite peaceful because it's a very strong sense of despair and uh, hollowness, um, and yet a, a, a very strong sense of um, faith and peacefulness with that, which is something to have learned. Because dukkha. Is a thing that takes us to faith. Suffering. Like those images where you like being stripped naked and in you know, in a, and you're just left in this vast <coughs> unknown place without any defences. Those kind of images. Nothing to hide no nothing to hide behind. Of everything. They're pretty stark images of it. But that's where faith begins. Only when when you when everything's been stripped away and gone and there's nothing left and then the only thing left is faith. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> no, no. 
can, uh, it's amazing how much you can just keep distracting yourself from, you know, trying to, to find something to try and reestablish your identity for how long you can keep that game going. But then eventually when the fuel tank comes dry, you can just Sister Tanisha last year. He was not ready to disrobe and he was totally kind of negative and suddenly she, she saw what she was doing, gave up all that. And this is where little things become like, like I use, I could, uh, before, when I was really striving to get somewhere in my practice, I wouldn't notice things like this and things around me. If you brought me a, one of these lilies, I probably wouldn't even see it. And, uh, and I would, this, my mind was always aiming at something else. And, and uh, I couldn't appreciate anything unless it was just, you know, really extreme, like important events or or really good practice where you where you've got everything under control and you're feeling really good and everything's going right and then then you're feeling and then when you get sick or things go wrong you just feel kind of frustrated and annoyed by it and and you're you're always aiming to try to control everything to get it to where you can keep these kind of peaks going for as long as you can peak experiences and hang on to them as long as possible. And uh, that's what oftentimes retreats become, don't they, for people. They're kind of hoping to reach these peak experiences on a retreat and hang on to them. And we know if you've been on so many retreats, the inevitable disillusionment, even when you get the fantastic insights on a retreat, you know, retreat. One peak experience after another. Now like just ordinary life, March again, rainy weather, we have to go and teach in London. And a lot of payments organizing the workforce and this and that. It was during the retreat that I really was alive. I had my these peak experiences were just blazing insights all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, the mind always is 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 uh, looking for these these kind of these great in, uh, experiences of life. But then, as when you surrender and you give up that interest in in the in the peak experiences. You know, you see the suffering of hanging on. To then you find, I used, I know I find like just the, the tiniest insignificant details of life and find the most pleasing. Then I began to just enjoy walking back to my room. Where before, when I was really a dedicated meditator, going getting somewhere. I didn't even notice I was walking back to my room. I was going back to my room to get something in order to practice 
rushing back 